Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Yeah. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. We in Outshine. Bitcoins, we got them. Acquire, never sell. But catch us rolling deep like Adele. Bitcoin, blockchains, cryptocurrencies. Three guys faded talking Bitcoin, no fee. That's the free Bitcoin podcast, insane. And adoption is still the only thing, thing, thing that matters, man. Hey everybody, welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast, episode 196. I'm your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, D, Dimitric, Dimitric Lamar. Corey's not here. <laughs> He's uh, So, uh, what comic books did you read this week? I'll tell you exactly okay. which comic books <laughs> I read this week. No, I'm kidding. We're just making fun of all the people that complain to us about sometimes we don't necessarily always talk about crypto but hey man you got to be human so anyways Corey's working on a paper like a science paper because he's a scientist and that's what scientists do they think yeah. and they write <clears throat> so um cello and i, I mean, are freebie in this this midweek what's up should i should we just like get straight to it on this midweek uh i can kind of dive into who's supporting the show and then we have some talking points and we can kind of yeah, let's get the get right down to business. Let's get the sponsors out of the way. So, guys, if you listen to people who are keeping the lights on for us right now, yeah, support for today's show comes from Bookmaker.eu, a premier sports book servicing the U.S. for over thirty years. Provides all your sports betting needs, both professional and recreational. So they're taking all that years of experience and they're kind of pivoting the crypto. That's thirty years. So you can now make your sports picks with Bitcoin today at Bookmaker.eu slash. Bitcoin podcast. Let me tell you how it works. Depositing with Bitcoin is fast and simple. And over 90% of bettors use Bitcoin to fund their bookmaker accounts and receive their winnings. They offer live in progress betting on every major sporting event, which allows you to wager on the game uninterrupted from tip off until final whistle. Bets are graded within seconds, and your winnings are credited to your account instantly. It's pretty easy. The draws are free. With same day payouts in Bitcoin. So visit bookmaker.eu slash Bitcoin podcast today. Sign up and claim your exclusive 100% welcome bonus up to $300. And yeah, you can access your bookmaker.eu betting account anytime, anywhere from your desktop, tablet, or smartphone. No download necessary. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're media sponsors of a really great conference. Uh, last episode, I didn't get a chance to tell you guys about it uh, ICO 2.0 Summit. It's in Santa Monica, California. And it's on April 20th, so it's coming up. Just a week left, ladies and gentlemen. Leaders and innovators in the crypto world are coming together at the Start Engine ICO 2.0 Summit. This includes Patrick Byrne, CEO of T0 and Overstock, who we need to get on the show, man. He's long overdue. Yeah, we had his, uh, we had his number two on the show many, many moons ago. Yeah, um, so that's on the bucket list. Uh, Trevor Caverco. Uh, you know, we just had him on the show, CEO of Polymath, 40 plus panelists. Um, quite frankly, the growing crypto ecosystem is 
it's being challenged by uncertainties and regulations, and Startigen is here to help. So the SEC, CFTC, and state administrators have been issuing subpoenas by the dozens. How is this going to affect ICOs and exchanges? This is why Startigen is launching its second edition of the ICO 2.0 Summit, co-sponsored by T-Zero on April 20th in Santa Monica. Please go to startenginesummit.com and enter promo code Bitcoin Podcast, all caps, to get 50% off your ticket. So that's pretty cool. Bam, bam. Are we all done? right. Are we done with the sponsors? We're done with the top roll. There's still more. Oh, you know, my goodness. We are. We can worry about that on. later, though. We're putting, hold up. I need a jingle for being done with the top roll. And we are now done with the first group of sponsors. Thank you for helping us see in the dark. Keep the lights on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, what's on the docket today? Um. You brought up a very interesting point. Can a blockchain exist without a cryptocurrency? Because no. a lot of people think they're mutually exclusive. No. And you say no. I say no and period. No reasoning. No. I don't need a paper to write this. No. I'm wrong. Uh, I'm, I think there's a – I don't know if I'm wrong. I know there's a lot of people infinitely smarter than me that just got like heartburn for me answering that so directly. But – you can't incentivize giant groups of people to participate in something based on altruism alone. Altruism is a fantasy, man. You read that shit in Aesop's fables when you're a kid. The proof of work algorithm has worked for a decade and works so well because people are greedy. And they want to mine. What's going to happen if miners start turning off their machines? Other people are going to be like, yo, I was interested in that Bitcoin thing at one point. Let me go on ahead and buy some video cards or buy some uh, old miners and let's get them running. Let's see if we can't get some of this money. I don't think you can have a very large and secure network without a way to gamify that network into securing it. I think that just like trying to take blockchain, which by the way, I've been reading white papers this week. Uh, that's not in the Bitcoin white paper. But it is something that we've abstracted out of it. So I'm okay with the abstraction. But so I don't know. I'm probably wrong. Do you think that I'm wrong? Say you can say that I'm wrong. I'm okay with that. I think that that tokens that make up cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ether are the means by which one participates in blockchain protocols. I don't think it's optional. I think it's a fundamental feature of the technology. Yeah. I mean, it's – go ahead. I mean, it's all it's all great and dandy. Like, I, the, this is the reason I say this. And, and hopefully we're going to have EOS on the show later. Maybe they can outline their vision. And it's beautiful to have 21 equal pieces of the pie. And those 21 equal pieces of the pie are understood to be the stakeholders. And everybody has even stake in this virtual mining process that perpetuates – delegated proof of stake it sounds great but here's the thing 21 people are not going to get along forever like that's all it takes is that one moment in time when the 20 through the the number 17 is like yeah i want like half a percent more and then mm -hmm. boom game over like that's 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 just that i think if you have this organic gamification of mining and the difficulty being set where it is and it can grow every however many blocks like 
I don't know. I, I don't think you can have a blockchain be secure without a currency. And I think that the only use case that we're seeing from blockchain right now is raising a shit ton of money really fast and having a way to tell the government that you raised a shit ton of money really fast and we'll pay you back later, government. Yeah, I'm going to use a Corey word. I think cryptocurrency is a misnomer. Okay. That's a Corey How word. So? Well, it's almost none name. of the hundreds of cryptocurrencies function anything like currencies. So to invest in cryptocurrencies is not to engage in foreign exchange trading. Instead, think of cryptocurrencies as digital assets tied to the value of blockchain protocols. So one reason, prob- I think one reason probably for this misconception is that Bitcoin was originally billed as a currency when we started this podcast. But in the intervening years since the creation of Bitcoin, a variety of digital assets has emerged. And even Bitcoin itself is now best thought of as a store of value rather than a more traditional currency. So just as during the dot-com boom, there were sites like Pets.com that IPO to the tune of millions of dollars. However, Amazon was also founded during the dot-com boom and is still one of the best-performing companies of all time. So the key in this time of exuberance is to engage in strategies for entering the cryptocurrency asset class that have a hope of finding the Amazons of the market while avoiding the Pets.com. So how do you do that? I don't, that's, that's the big challenge for me. You don't, man. You get you become a lucky VC person, and then like ten years down the line, everybody's like, "Who is who's James McDonough?" And he's like, "Oh, James McDonough invested in Golem ten years ago." Like that's that's that. Like if a company's raising capital and they're using crypto as a vehicle to raise capital, and you got in on that, then congratulations, you're like a future investor. There's nothing more fan. There's nothing slick about it. Like. So you think it's luck? I mean, of. luck has a lot to do with everything. Luck has a lot yeah. to do with everything, or it wouldn't be a category of MMOs. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying. I, I just think the more popular the network, the greater the rise in the value of the network's tokens. Um, supply and demand, except for Tron. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like we spin our heels in these arguments. And sometimes I think like spinning wheels in arguments is like... Did I say heels or did I say wheels? You can wheels. say either because, yeah. like, you remember, like, cartoons when their legs would move in a circle and they're spinning yeah. their heels? It's like, I get like it. Sonic the Hedgehog? Yeah, like Sonic the Hedgehog spinning his heels, but it looks like a wheel. Crazy designing. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. Well, you know, that's what IOTA did. They, what? It was supposed to be a, a currency without a blockchain. It it rests on a, a blockchain without a currency. Yeah, it rests on a mathematical tangle. Yeah, because what the fuck does that mean? Anyways, ask Jeremy like... Epstein. <laughs> That's what he said. A mathematical tangle. Basically, we drew a bunch of lines intersecting each other, and then we drew a bunch of lines intersecting each other in a different plane, and then made the planes intersect. Boom, iota. It's it's called a directed acyclic graph. You know Wait. What? we shouldn't go into that on the air. I gotta Google acyclic. Uh, I want to say acrylic. No, no, no. It's um. Hold on. A cyclic. A cyclic. A cyclic. I think it's a. Cyclic. You're a math guy. 
a directed acyclic a c y c l i c cyclic graph. I hate it. You're a math guy. Don't you know things? Like what's what's that? And a cyclic and a cyclic graph is a graph having no graph cycles. They're bi acyclic. Oh, a is part, the... art, What is that word? Bipartite. A uh, connected a cyclic graph is known as a tree, and a and a possibly disconnected a cyclic graph is known as a forest. Does that shit make sense to you? Not really. Let's stop going down that path, and let's bring up the next thing on the docket. I guess that's why you shouldn't read white papers on air. That's why you don't read white papers on air. <laughs> you guys All just right. don't listen. So the next thing I want to talk about was this interesting debate that stemmed last week from Tiffany Hayden. Shout out to Tiffany Hayden. Edge. Shout out to Paula Nader. You're not going to say Edge? Yeah, shout out Edge. Shout out to Edge. Uh, Lightning is an altcoin. I'm just going to say no. Like, again, make it definite. Um, It's not an altcoin. It is a is is layer two of Bitcoin, right? And so she got far, some blowback for that. Oh, she gets blowback for everything. She gets attention. If you get attention, you get blowback and you get praise. You get everything. I mean, it's it's part of the part of the package. But like, I gave her blowback because I was like, it's not an altcoin. It's not like I I don't have like a little lightning token. That mm-hmm. lightning, the money that's in the lightning channel is Bitcoin. It's like mm-hmm. fast money and slow money. That's the difference. That's what Lightning proposed. It's like a checking account and a savings account. That's the difference. Right? I, I just think anybody who's a Bitcoin cash supporter undervalues how Bitcoin scaled. And then they believe uh, SegWit's useless and Lightning Network is an altcoin. Yeah, that's crazy. I want to talk in reality, though. Bitcoin is like slow and can't be faster, which is why we've attempted through many, 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 many hours to both hold accountable and build out the people that have the skills a layer on top of Bitcoin to allow for very fast and frictionless transactions. I don't Mm -hmm. understand why all of a sudden there's blowback. Like, it's definitely not on all coin. At the end of the day, if you try to steal somebody's money that you're in a channel with, they get the they get all of the money. So, like, I just wanted to understand the community. Maybe you guys can help me out. If you're listening to this right now and you're getting all hot and bothered underneath your chin muscles, like, I want you to, like, come into our Slack and help me understand why you think that Lightning is an altcoin. And I will help you understand by copying the white paper link and posting it underneath your argument and then having you go through it and pick out the point at which big lightning is an altcoin. If you're calling lightning network an alt, do you think it's empty provocation or mere ignorance? What do you mean by empty provocation? It's like well, provoking people? Yeah. You know, every time someone says something, like on Twitter, where this was, they 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 go to that person's profile, then they dig deeper, and they're like, "Oh, they're in, they they support Bitcoin Cash." I'm gonna invalidate everything they say. 
there's there's such an assassination of character in, in this space that you know Roger Ver is justified or like Vinnie Lingham, but people are starting to associate people with their ideologies, and then I mean that's, that's how disagreements happen. That's that's a given though. That's, but they're not they're not trollish comments. I mean these are people that like Tiffany Hayden um, is in a position. Of no, knowledge I mean, it in wasn't space. a Polish comment. It was just incorrect. She ended up the next day saying, maybe it's not an altcoin. Maybe it's the deed to some Bitcoin. And I was like, okay, I can get behind that, Tiffany. I'm good with that. But a deed is still really powerful. And if we're going to use that analogy, you respect the deed. Like Cello, you, I bet you know right now in your heart where the deed to your house is, right? Yeah, I have a general <laughs> idea. You should probably know where. If that my is. house was on fire, I don't think I could make a beeline to it. But I have a. I know. I think it's in a closet somewhere. Now I'm pretty sure, like, there's other like social like constructs we've built up since. I'm pretty sure, like, if your house burned down, or not if your house burned. Wow, let me not even remotely will that into existence. If you lost the deed to your house and some jabroni had the deed to your house and he was like, "Hey, that's my house. I have the deed," you'd be like, "Yeah, no." Even though you actually have the deed. This digital proof over here proves it's mine. But the fact that me and you both agree that a deed is a powerful thing and she's agreeing to use that analogy means that, like, why call it all coin in the first place? That's empty provocation. Yeah, it was interesting. Even Laura Shin jumped in. It was crazy. What did she say? I didn't hear what she said. I I didn't stick around. Uh, Someone said Ripple's a scam. And she said... Ripple is uh, akin to a PayPal account than a trustless system like Bitcoin, and that it's it's hard to come up with any rational reason why Ripple exists in the Ripple protocol other than as a means for Ripple to make money. Yeah, that was my rationale a long time ago. But are they going to make money? I mean, you can't stop somebody from making money if somebody wants to hand them money. Yeah. Like, I got to say, the the... the the comments, the sexism comments. There was sexism comments? Yeah, like this is why there are so few women in crypto because their brains can't comprehend even the simplest of concepts. Oh my Oof. god. You don't say that. I why would you I don't think we should have even just said that. Because it's so little of a comment. Why put that why give that radio play? Well, because when people engage in conversations and they lose with logic, then they always resort to insults. Ad hominem is what they call them. That's what Twitter yeah. says all the time. Please, please stop with your ad hominem attack. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> I insulted you? Like, just say I insulted you. Like, nobody is Latin anymore except for people that are definitely Latin. But, like, yeah. <laughs> like uh exo prozo qua raza ed hominem vis-a-vis like nobody fucking talks like that anymore fuck anyways so i don't know let us know what you guys think like i don't know is lightning an alt coin and if it is you better have a good argument for me because i spent an entire afternoon reading the litecoin uh the sorry the lightning network white paper and uh then I had some bidet thoughts about it, and I was like, it's not even remotely an altcoin. It's just a second layer of rules that lay on top of the first layer of rules. 
Like, go play a board game, man. There's there's layers to this shit. All right. Well, they. Uh, I guess the last thing I'll say is they said that um, uh, the reason why it's not just Tiffany, the reason why Edge as a whole thinks that Lightning is an altcoin is because it's an alternative chain. It, he said that it's an alternative consensus mechanism that just happens to be tied back to Bitcoin. And from every point of view, it's got different address formats. It's got different wallets. It's got different way of transacting, different constraints, different servers you connect to. And everything that matters in terms of technology, it's a different system. And uh, what's, uh, Paul agreed as well. Yeah, I know. Paul and I disagree on this. Yeah, we didn't, it didn't happen in the interview because we didn't go into the Lightning Network. I don't think, I don't remember. But I mean, Paul and I are always just going to disagree on that. Like, I mean, that's like saying <laughs> to me, that's like saying, well, the original internet was built to transfer files between universities, and it should only be used for that, and that's the only thing it should be built for is that. And then fast forward from like the 70s to right now, we do a hell of a lot more with the internet than transfer white papers amongst universities. We do a lot more than that. So there's all sorts of protocols that we've built on top to allow us to go on Facebook and say, guys, guess what? I bought some flowers for my mother on Mother's Day. It was dope. She liked them. Hashtag love life. Like there's protocols that allow that reality. So there's going to be protocols that allow a reality where people can send transactions for free. Damn near free. So. All right. So to sum it up, different payment methods don't mean different currencies. Yeah, I guess so. I like it. So do we go into another talking point or do we just wrap it? How you feel? Um, I think that we can... Get into some more support, maybe do an interview, and then maybe we can come back for 10 minutes. Give the people some good midweek goodness. Wait, if it's ad time, I got to get us hyped for this shit. Brandy. No, no, no. No. Hold up. Where is it? Where did I put it? All right, mm-hmm. here we go. We're about to do ads? Yeah. Oh, oh shit. Here's some ads, y'all. Oh, Ryzen. Oh, snap. Oh. Okay. All right. <laughs> this episode, uh, or better yet, this uh, great interview with the consensus team is supported by Horizon Communications. Countries around the world have been plagued with below-par internet and tele-tele-tele-tele-communication services. This is due to aging equipment. Expensive to install infrastructure and national disasters. Uh, Horizon Communications is the solution to this with the planned deployment of next generation internet service equipment. Horizon has announced the launch of their pre sale. The company plans to first roll out high speed internet and cellular services in the Caribbean and Central America. And the token generation event issues the Horizon token. Horizon sees a potential of 125 million. Dollars after the first four years of operation. That's a lot of Skrilla. Uh, the token buyers get a number of benefits from paying for services with the token, access to enterprise-level services, and support, and a quarterly dividend paid in Ethereum. Ten million tokens are available for sale uh, at a discount of up to 60%. So participate 
interested investors are encouraged, we encourage you to visit the official Horizon website at horizoncom.co. And last, Dimitric, the last ad is Wait, brought to you by... Wait, before we do last ad, I get it. Horizon, bro. Do you get it? I just got it. Like What, like Verizon Communication? No, Verizon? not at all. That's what I thought at first because that's where Verizon's marketing team has my brain. But when you mm-hmm. look out at the edge of your site, what do you see? The horizon. The horizon, right? And what are they trying to be? They're trying to lay out edge case internet service services at the horizon of the internet. I got it. Okay. I, got, it took me a while, but I got it. I got the name. All right. Well, this next ad is a financial exchange, and they call themselves Trade. You're just going to slide in? To that you're not going to say like you're not going to give me dap like even virtually like oh you got you got you see the vision Cong- you know whatever let's go to trade oh <laughs> uh, yeah last but not least the podcast only promotes those valid projects so let me tell you that the board and advisory team at trade.io comprises of high-level executives and professionals from around the worlds of wall street banking and blockchain and thanks to their loyal participants trade.io has 31 million dollars for its ico the crypto community has asked them for an industry-leading crypto exchange made by crypto traders for crypto traders so no more waiting for account verification no more interruptions of services during peak trading times no more frustrating interfaces partner with some of the most highly reputable organizations and exchanges in blockchain their team promises a fast efficient and safe experience buying and selling cryptos on their exchange so join the trading revolution visit trade.io slash sign up it's hassle-free. Yeah. Yeah. R- 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 Randy. Yeah. Hold up. Oh, damn. I missed the cue. Shit. <laughs> Hold up. Hold up. All right. So um, today's sound effects are brought to you by Rap Airhorn, the app for your iPhone. Literally. That's what it says. Um, so I guess without further ado, should we introduce the guest? Does she need an introduction? I, I feel know. like she's you, like you soloed I, this. I feel like she's one of those power women that like she's so powerful, but she wouldn't let off that she's powerful. You know what I'm saying? She's like a kung fu master of blockchain, and you'd never realize that because she doesn't like walk around like I'm a kung fu master. Look at my long ass beard. I'm a whip it. She just like operates. You know, any woman that doesn't smile in their Twitter photo. And their profile picture is all business. Mm, we're going to catch some blowback for that statement. I hope you're ready for it. His name is at Mojincello on Twitter. Send the hate that way. <laughs> yeah, and then while, you, while you're sending me a hate tweet, give me a follow. <laughs> um, so this is Carolyn Rakow. I hope I said that well. Um, she, I believe, is based in Europe somewhere, a.k.a. where they talk like this. They talk like this over there. They have soup with eggs and beans, and it's delicious in tea. And so, um, was that a good accent? Did I finally get that all right? I don't know. I think people like your macho, man. I know that. <laughs> oh, shit. Fusion. Oh, yeah, brother. I can't do no. a English macho, man. I don't even know if that's possible. An Australian uh, macho, man. Oh yeah, brother. Oh yeah, brother. Gonna, gonna fuck you up nice and right. 
That's an Australian macho man. All right. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. Director I'm sorry, of Operations bro. at Consensus with a Y, <laughs> not a U. Carolyn Reckhow. Here it is. Yeah. Hey, so I know we typically go straight to the interview, but um, I'm in post bear market delirium at this point. So this interview is actually brought to you by 90s Greek dance music. Here's a minute of it. Today, doing a solo interview, Corey is indisposed at the moment, and Cello is driving in Austin traffic. So, um, but without further ado, I bring you Carolyn Rakow, the Director of Ops and Consensus OG. Welcome (laughs) to the show. Thanks for having me. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) So, let's get the... um, what do they call them? The, the familiarities out of the way. Um, just the simple crypto stuff. How long have you been in crypto? When did you, when'd you hear about Bitcoin? When did you fall down the rabbit hole? Uh, just just all the stories that people are so familiar with now but are always interesting to everyone. Can we get yeah. a little bit of that summarization? The rabbit hole story. Yeah. I yeah. love how that's become um, a term now, right? For <laughs> that moment when you first get it and then all of a sudden <laughs> there's nothing else that you can do or think about the blockchain. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my story is a bit of a, an unusual one. I don't have a background um, that looks like the majority of people that I meet in blockchain. Um My background is actually in the social sciences. Uh, I used to be a therapist, believe it or not, um, a social worker. Uh, I studied psychology and sociology uh, in school, and I worked for a few years um, as a therapist. And then I went back to school, went to graduate school uh, in Boston, and was studying a couple of different things, was doing... um, two different master's degrees, one in uh, studying public health policy and the other was in macro social work, macro social systems, um, which is sort of like the soft skills of an MBA with with a social justice spin. Um, And the short story is, is I I was a little intellectually bored and I started exploring in Boston and um, got really into uh, emerging technology and sort of like the futuristic uh, 
you know, the futuristic spin on a, on a lot of different things that were emerging in the world at the time. So I was into biotechnology. I was looking at robotics, just like nerding out. And I guess the story is, is I just met the right nerds at the right time and uh, <laughs> made friends with um, a couple, a few handful of people. Uh, one was um, a woman at uh, Harvard Law, the Berkman Center named Primavera Filippi. Um, and then some other folks who were at the MIT Media Lab who were doing some thinking around um, around personal data um, and, um, uh, you know, uh, identity solutions. And this was my first introduction to blockchain. Um, and, you know, I had heard about Bitcoin before, um, but it never interested me because, um, you know, I, I care about humans. I care about, you know, systems and, and communities, not finance or um, math, you know, which is what I thought Bitcoin was. I'd read about it in, on Reddit, you know, back in the day. Uh, but with the broader perspective of blockchain and specifically Ethereum, this was actually back in 2014. Um, so a little bit after um, the, Ethereum, the Ethereum crowd sale, um, I met these folks and we were just intellectually just uh, exploring some of the ideas around blockchain. And it just sort of clicked for me with these folks because they were thinking about it through a, uh, a legal lens, through a social lens, a political lens. And, um, I got it big picture wise, you know, what this technology meant for the implications of humanity, really like the, the big picture. And I just, I just was obsessed. It, it just clicked for me. And I started um, studying and reading as much as I could and trying to learn the the technical aspect behind it. Um, and then I ended up going to a hackathon in Palo Alto um, in early 2015. And uh, that's where I met um two of the, I think it was the, the first two employees of Consensus at this hackathon, and we joined up in a team with a few other folks um, and built uh, an identity and reputation management solution for communities, um, wrote the white paper, um, and we ended up winning the hackathon and, you know, starting to build it out. Um, and that's when um, I got hired by by Consensus and Joe to, um, to help build out Consensus really early days. I was one of the, I think one of the first non-technical folks. And I just, um, you know, really believed in the mission of Ethereum and uh, what, you know, this crazy thing that this guy Joe Lubin was trying to do with with um, blockchain and his vision for the decentralized future. And um, the rest is history. I've just been like heads down in the blockchain space, working on building consensus. So that's one, that's an amazing story because, um, not being technical is a huge hurdle for a lot of people nowadays. There's a lot of people that just have a little bit of a fear of getting involved because they're like, oh, well, I don't know JavaScript. I don't know React. I don't know Solidity. I, you guys are using so many acronyms. Why so many acronyms? And they mm -hmm. just, you know, they just get, they take a step back. But maybe you could elaborate on like what allows you to operate so confidently in the space without having that severe tech background, like what yeah what drives you to just cuz sometimes even me personally i'm sitting at the table and i'm like what are they even talking about like <clears throat> you know i yeah i totally feel you and you know to be perfectly honest when you when you start to get into this space and meet people who are highly technical you know you start to realize that there really are no experts in this space um there probably are only you know 12 people on the planet that really really truly understand how blockchain technology works. <laughs> um, you know, all of the ins and outs and complexities and 
um, you know, the, the crypto economic, um, you know, possibilities. Um, so, I mean, for me, I think partly it was uh, being early in a space where, uh, you know, three, four years ago, there were even fewer experts than there are now, or, you know, quote unquote experts. Um, and, you know, also, I think I was lucky that I landed, to be honest, um, with uh, the Ethereum community rather than the larger Bitcoin community. Um, and this is just my personal experience and opinion. Um, but I found the Ethereum community to be really uh, open and welcoming to people that were not um, highly technical, to, to really anybody. Um, and, you know, I had... It, my experiences with the Bitcoin community as I was growing and learning were um, a little bit more, you know, negative in terms of people wouldn't be as uh, open-minded and are willing to kind of spend the time to explain something to me um, in a way that was a more explain it like I'm five kind of situation. Uh, and um, I don't know. I think there was just a, more of a diversity of people, definitely more women in the Ethereum space than in the Bitcoin space, um, and, and people who were thinking or maybe came from philosophy backgrounds or, um, you know, you know, economic backgrounds or, you know, some sort of technical background that wasn't pure mathematics or code or cryptography, or maybe they came from you know, biology or robotics or, or whatever. Um, and so, so that was really, um, I think one of the reasons why it was it it didn't feel like such a hurdle for me to kind of to jump in and um, learn the basics, learn what I needed to learn to become proficient in technology. Good deal. So it's it more so just more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. That's just what it is. That's objective feedback for any of you maximalists, Bitcoin maximalists in the audience. Inclusiveness <laughs> gets you far. So I wanted to talk about your self proclamation of being the uh, social worker of block of of the blockchain industry, I think. What, what's it say on your Twitter description? I think I think it says um, macro social worker for the internet. <laughs> yes. How's, what is that? <laughs> how's, is that? How's that working for you? Because the internet's pretty big with a lot of personalities and It stuff. is. It is. <laughs> I think that that was a, like a kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek statement that um, – who came up with that? Oh, I was working with um, – with Daza Greenwood, who's a, a professor at the uh, MIT Media Lab on some blockchain projects. And at the time, I was very early on and still um, working on my social work degree. <laughs> um, and he, I made some sort of comment similar to that, to that statement. And um, I thought it was cute and it stuck. Um, but, but really, for me, what that means is, um, you know, a, a social worker is somebody that, um, that studies um, it studies relationships and it studies communities and um, thinks about um, thinks about the ways to optimize um, s- systems and relationships for the betterment of humanity. Um, and so, for me, you know, I like to think of um, the my approach and, and the work that I do in the blockchain space is really, in a way, about um, you know, when we're building Web3, when we're thinking about some of these, um, you know, grand visions for um, a decentralized internet and a more equitable um, internet of, of agreements um, and, um, you know, internet of transactions. Uh, for me, that, that's, that's social work, right? Because ultimately all of these things have social components um, and you're, you're studying, um, you're studying the way that people move in communities and in societies and how value moves in community and societies. Um, so 
I, I definitely still think that um, what I do is I, I, at least, you know, maybe philosophically social work. <laughs> so if you had to put what you would consider the Ethereum community on the couch, per se, let's say on the couch in quotations, like what, what would be some of the like glaring, hey, we as a community should work on these things. And what are the like, we should really, these are our strengths as a community. This is what we should be presenting to the public. Like mm. you're putting the whole Ethereum community on the couch right now and you've got oh. a yellow legal pad. <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, well, so I definitely think one of the, um, one of the strengths of the Ethereum community is, um, well, you know, I'm biased, I guess, but I, I, I think that we've got, we've got a few strengths just, you know, um, through how we behave as a community. Um, you know, I see a lot of, um, there's a lot of collaboration, um, and there's a lot of, um, you know, people focusing on, um, on, on building and on scaling, um, and, um, also focusing on how to do governance, right. Um, how to, um, you know, how to collaborate and, um, you know, maintain, um, maintain, uh, diverse points of view, um, about, you know, technical decisions and, um, you know, provide forums, uh, for, for discussion, whether that's in, um, you know, community events. I was just at ETHCC in Paris. Um, and that was you know, incredible to see the, the level of, of conversation that was happening about, you know, the future of the Ethereum protocol. Um, so I definitely would, would pat the Ethereum community on the back for that. Um, and I, and I would say, um, you know, that, that proactive work on, um, maintaining that quality of the community is going to be really important uh, as as the community grows and scales and as the technology grows and scales. Um, and so, I guess I guess the, the piece of advice I might give is um, I would love to see um, I would love to see some some more thinking about um, like what what the Ethereum community could potentially look like um, from a governance and um, you know, political and community standpoint in, you know, in a year or in five years um, and um, thinking, thinking proactively about how we can put um, practices or measures or, or structures in place to, to maintain some of those positive qualities of, of the community. Um, yeah. So when I think of community, personally, I think of it's, it's just a group of people with understood either written down or, or not written down rules on how this system is going to add value to everybody who's who's partaking in it. Do you think towards the end of 2017 last year, we were a little bit too willy-nilly and laze about some of the shenanigans that led to um, just stripper parties in Miami and like <laughs> Lamborghini boats? And like people trying to shop for private planes, like should the community as a whole either not written down anything, but just really cast that out as like, hey, that's a pretty toxic path to go down. But it seemed mm. like the opposite happened. Like I went to Miami BTC and I was just kind of taken aback by everything because I was like, whoa, this is bananas. I just got invited to a stripper yeah. party. 
I've never been invited to a stripper party before. And so I was like, this is, am I supposed to, should I go? It's networking. But what I'm saying is, do you think that we could have done more as a community to say like, hey, that stuff, that's a no-go? Or do you think the inclusive is it, the inclusiveness of the community is kind of what allowed that to reach the point it did? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that uh, the important, well, it's important to uh, maintain uh, maintain channels of of open communication um, and inclusiveness, as you say, where that everybody's voice can be can be heard and and shared. And um, you know, there are, there are forums where um, where people can you know show support for different points of view, but you know, basically I, I think that, you know, a healthy community is a, is a community that um, is, is free to and empowered to, um, you know, say if they, you know, uh, think that, um, you know, behavior is inappropriate or that the community should change or, or move in a different direction. Um, and I think it's completely healthy to have diversity of opinions there. Uh, and, um, you know, it, I don't know. I, I guess I, I'd say that, you know, no comment um, in terms of, you know, whether I think the community should, you know, behave one way or the other or, you know, because I, I, I don't really believe, I think, you know, value signaling um, can be tricky uh, mm-hmm. and um, it can quickly turn political. Um, and so, uh, you know, there are certain, there are certain sort of baseline values that, that I believe in. And I can say that, you know, personally, I believe in, you know, inclusiveness and respect, and that looks like this, that, and this. Um, and I think that the best that a healthy community can uh, hope for is open dialogue around things like that when when they do happen, um, yeah. and not necessarily kind of you know value signaling or or value shaming people's behavior or motives or um, or things that they say because. Um, it's a pretty wild thing uh, <laughs> what's happened to the community in terms of um, some of the, the, the wealth um, that, you know, we saw at the end of 2017. So yeah, that does, that does things to, to um, an individual and um, it does. Yeah. <laughs> it does. It definitely does. When you, when your purchasing power goes from what you're comfortable with and built habits around to, Oh my goodness, there's new opportunities you just you make different decisions, but I guess we could switch it now. Let's talk about consensus, obviously, right? Consensus is uh, a global powerhouse now. I mean, I remember, I think I remember interviewing Joe Lubin when it was just like him, and there were like three other people at Consensus, yeah. and I remember we called him on his laptop, and he didn't have he he didn't have what you're wearing, the little earbuds, and he was trying to yell into it, and we were like, Joe, there's an echo. You gotta, you gotta help us out. But anyways, um, it's you guys are much different now. So sounds like dire- the early days, yeah. <laughs> it was a long time ago. So, so director of ops, um, mm-hmm. operations for the young bucks in the audience. What, what's your role there at Consensus, and 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 what's you guys' trajectory going into the next five years? Yeah, um, five years—that's a long time. Um, oh, well, I'll start with my role. Um, so. I started early. I was, you know, employee number uh, 12 or 15 or something like that. And, um, you know, in the beginning you just, it's a startup and you just do everything right. Um, and especially being in a non-technical role, you kind of do it all. But, um, I've been, um, 
for, for the most of my time at Consensus been focusing on um, operational work. So in the beginning, that was, you know, HR and finance and legal and just you know <laughs> making sure the office doesn't fall apart and everything in between. Um, but as Consensus began to grow, uh, really what I've focused on for the most part um, is um, is designing and um, you know facilitating how consensus um, operates as a decentralized organization. Um, so that means um, that uh, we are we don't have a traditional management structure, um, very little hierarchy. Um, we're you know we're a venture stu- a venture production studio um, at, at at our core. That's our main business. So that model sort of it sort of looks like a hub and spoke model. Um, where um, we've got um, all of these these core services um, at, in our hub, um, you know, marketing and um, you know recruitment services and security auditing services um, that uh, are utilized by all of the spokes or like our portfolio portfolio companies. And those um, we've got about almost fifty of them right now, uh, and those are um, in. An insane amount of industries, you know, you know, Uport is one of our spokes, um, you know, Ujo for music, Viant, supply chain, um, AirSwap, an exchange, and Gnosis, uh, prediction market, um, on and on and on. Um, and we also have an, a few other things that we do. There's um, uh, Consensus Solutions, which is our enterprise consulting arm. There's Consensus Academy, which is um, education and you know, solidity boot camps, things like that. Um, we've also got Token Foundry, um, which is token advisory services and um, a token launch platform. Um, Consensus Ventures is a, um, a venture fund and um, Ethereal, which is a culture-focused blockchain event series. Um, so we do a lot of things at consensus. It's a bit of a, um, a, a microcosm of the ecosystem um, is what we say. So just pretty much everything that's out there in the ecosystem, we, we do a little bit of it. Um, but we, we don't, um, the way that we work is, is very unique. Um, you know, I mentioned we don't have any managers uh, and we really, we believe in autonomy um, and um, transparency and collaboration uh, and letting the the spokes, the, the teams that are essentially mini startups within consensus or they are in the process of spinning out um, and becoming external um, of consensus, we believe in giving them um, as much freedom as they need to, um, to, to grow and to, you know, be as entrepreneurial and innovative as they can while still um, you know, benefiting from all of the things that consensus has to offer um, in terms of, um, you know, our, our technical expertise in the space and, um, you know, these, these services that I mentioned um, to help build out, build out their businesses. We've got a lot of, um, you know, mentoring services and um, a fantastic team called consensus labs uh, that, that runs the venture studio essentially and is full of entrepreneurs um, who've got a lot of experience growing and building companies. So they uh, work really closely with our, with our spokes as well. Um, and so um, back to what I work on is essentially thinking about um, and working to, you know, to maintain our culture um, and to uh, design the, the system by which um, we actually operate um, and function as a group of autonomous 
humans and autonomous teams um, in a way that is um, that helps us achieve all the things that we want to achieve that that gets things done and done well. Mm. So it's all all about oh excuse me it's all about autonomy. It mm-hmm. seems like uh, not all about but okay that I guess that leads to a pretty good question. If you are a well-to-do entrepreneur and you figured a solution out that to tokenize a random behavior, maybe incentivize, you built this amazing incentive structure and you want to go to consensus, what is, uh, what's the difference between you being successful and meeting failure with consensus? Mm, with consensus. Well, if you're an entrepreneur and you've got um, – an idea or a company, uh, first of all, there's a few different ways that you could um, work with consensus, right? You know, um, the coming into labs and becoming a spoke within the venture studio um, is probably the one um, that, that's the most well-known. Um, and, and there's other ways in terms of you could come and work, you know, directly with Token Foundry and, um, um, and launch a token on their platform and work with them. Um, and you could also, um, we also have a, a consensus ventures which is a fund um so it's another way to to be supported by consensus um but in terms of success and failure within consensus in the labs um uh in 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 the context of consensus labs so i guess i'd say um you know some of the the failure modes could be around um you know not being entrepreneurial is the, is the big one that comes to mind. Um, you know, in consensus, uh, you know, when you come into the company, you, you're, you're, you know, we don't really call it a company. Actually. It's funny. We call ourselves the consensus mesh. Um, we think of all of the teams and the humans as, as nodes in, you know, a network. Uh, um, um, so a bit of a blockchain play. So we will say, you know, when you come into the mesh, um, you know, it's, it's not like a regular firm where, you know, here's your desk and, <laughs> you know, this is what, this is what, you know, you, you get and you have to report to your boss. It's very much like, um, it's, it's a lab, it's a studio. There are there's so many teams, um, all over the world as well, you know, and, and we've got offices in, in several places and we're growing and, you know, people are remote, but, um, there, there's definitely still a sense of, um, you know, you have to, um, you, you have to be a little bit entrepreneurial to, um, to, to, to find your way and navigate because, um, you know, our, our org chart, um, doesn't look like, you know, a triangle with all these brackets where you can figure out, you know, who's who and and what's what we actually construct our org chart through a software that, um, that we've got an internal team building that looks like circles. Um, we call teams circles, circles that are nested within circles and you kind of look at it and it uh, looks like sort of a, a giant cell almost with all these these circles that are cool. constantly changing and moving in size. Um, so, you know, we're building a lot of tools out internally to, to kind of help people um, be able to navigate and understand all the different dependencies in the way that we work. But when you come in, it's we're, it's just sort of more like a like a community or a co-op than it is a traditional corporation. Um, so you do have to to be the type of person um, that uh, is willing to just to, to jump right in and, um, you know, to 
get your get your elbows dirty and like get in there and figure out what's what and like find your mentors and find people that are going to be able to to coach you um, and find the technologists that are going to be able to help you, you know, with this like ZK snark problem or whatever it is. Um, you know, if you're somebody that shies away from that sort of thing, which we don't often find in the Ethereum community, right? People are very kind of, if you're successful already in the Ethereum community, you're somebody that's kind of going out there and collaborating and, and learning from peers. Um, uh, but it's definitely still, you know, um, what it's like uh, with being a spoke, a project within consensus. Good deal. Who's the, uh, you said it's like a cell. Who's the mitochondria of the cell? No, I'm kidding. I haven't picked <laughs> up a biology book in like a decade. Literally, I just picked the one word I knew. I'm just kidding. Mitochondria. Was... <laughs> I'll have to look that up later. That was a terrible question. So <laughs> something I've, I probably had on a flashcard and studied for like 30 minutes. <laughs> mitochondria. Um, well, I, I guess where we go to is, is what, what are some of your favorite projects, maybe either that Consensus is helping cultivate or not? that are happening in the greater cryptocurrency space, maybe not just Ethereum, maybe not just Bitcoin, but some projects that are doing good work that, you know, you're following. What are some of those? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh God, there's so many. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I've always been really excited um, about any sort of identity project um, sort of one of the first use cases that really hooked me. Um, so obviously we've got Uport um, within consensus, but you know I, I I'm even you know interested with about the, the sort of things that you know Blockstack is doing with identity and think projects like Civil. Um, I just think it's such a core component of um, of the possibility of Web three, um, and and getting that right is going to have um, major. Um, you know, in my mind, uh, positive social social impact on um, on a lot of different areas. You know, both for the 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 you know disenfranchised folks in the world. Um, you know, people like refugees or vulnerable populations that may be susceptible to um, to um, you know um, to to slavery or or things like that. Um, all the way to you know you and I and everybody that um, has an identity um, online right now that we don't own, right? You know, I'm talking mm-hmm. you know, Facebook and Google and um, that whole, we could, I don't know. I don't know if now's the time to get into that topic. And it's been in the news a lot, Cambridge Analytica and Facebook, but um, <laughs> you um, get if you I like. definitely, it's it, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely something that um, very timely and, um, you know, for me, I guess kind of exciting that like finally this is sort of sparking public imagination. Um, uh, you know, folks are realizing that, you know, these business models are based off of um, like harvesting our data and that um, there is all of this value out there in, in our data and our personal information that we um, as individuals have no control over. And you know, the, the, possibility for projects like Uport for identity projects um, to be able to give power back to the user, uh, for the user to be able to own their own data um, and own the value associated with that um, and own the, um, the, and own the way that they want that data to be shared with other parties, you know, whether that is for healthcare or for, you know, advertising or anything. I I just, I get really, really excited about that. Um, So that's, always my number one answer. 
Um, That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I like that because, um, you know, the, one, the Facebook stuff is kind of scary. And to mm-hmm. me, it's not scary. I'm just pissed because, like, I want to get paid from that data. Like, I introduce <laughs> awesome shit into your data sets. I want to get paid for some of that stuff. Um, right. You know, that would be cool. Like, Cambridge, what kind of research are you doing? Oh, you want my data? Here you go. Just pay me. You don't have to pay Facebook. Um, and there's lots of positives from identity stuff. Like, my favorite use case that, that I read when I got excited about it was, like, so you've got a refugee from a country. Like, they were living fine. They were doing great. They were an engineer, you know, thoroughly educated. They, they've been, you know, very successful. But through stupid humanity, they get uprooted from their life. And they've got to go to another country. But they can't yeah. prove who they are in the other country because they're like, yeah, the funny thing about me being who I am, it got blown up by a tank. So mm-hmm. I can do these things, but and I want to do them in your country now, but I can't prove it. I think if there's some sort of way to, that we could allow them to have an identity that goes with them in cases mm-hmm. like that, it's good. Yeah. What about the cons, though? Because there's some negatives to having a, like a internet identity that is kind of locked in like, right. You know, what, what would be some cons to that? You think? Right. No, you're, you're, I, I'm makes me think of sort of the, um, uh, like the China's reputation system, right. Uh, you know, where something like that was on an immutable blockchain. Um, so yeah, definitely, you know, and, and I think that this is the case with, um, with almost any aspect of this technology or use case for, for blockchain. And it's, it's really looking at, um, you know, yes, you know, technology is not inherently, um, you know, value laden humans and humans behavior and how humans design the systems. That's where, um, you know, the ethics comes in. Uh, so, so I guess in terms of identity, I guess it's really about, it, is this being built, you know, by, in a, in a private blockchain by, um, you know, China or Russia, or is this something that um, has been built um, in an open network? You know, I think that that is, that's obviously sort of my, my go-to answer there, but, you know, there's, there's also more, there are a lot more kind of complex um, nuances to, to how we design these systems that um, I think are going to be really important um, because, okay, I'll, I'll go back to, to the Facebook example, right? You know, I mean, I, I don't think Mark Zuckerberg was, you know, in no way was he imagining when he was, you know, building this in his dorm room back in you know, the early 2000s that um, <laughs> that connecting people in this way would have so many fascinating but totally unintended um, you know, social side effects, social consequences. And so I think we need to think, um, you know, really proactively uh, and look at history and learn from history as we're building out these systems around identity and reputation um, and really think about, um, you know, just like run all the simulations and think about how, what are all of the ways that this could be played out? And that that's a really tricky thing because um, humans, humans are funny. Humans are complicated. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's um, it takes some um, some unique um thinking to to really be able to 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 kind of get it right and think through all the situations and you know I don't know that's sort of a an existential question of like, will we ever be able to think of all of the what ifs before 
we start building and, and here it is and we're stuck in some sort of system. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I also think that that's just, I mean, I'm a student of history. I'm, I always say, you know, learn, look at history, study history, learn from history. And I think that, you know, making mistakes like that in, um, you know, in emerging technology in these sort of groundbreaking uh, paradigm shifting technologies like in the internet and social networks and blockchain and like electricity, you know, like you're going to have some casualties. There's going to be some fuck ups, um, you know, humans. It's just, it's just um, a pattern of, of technology and history and you know, human evolution advancement. That's a funny, st- that's, it's funny to think about like who learned the lesson that you have to ground yourself. <laughs> or actually right. it's not funny at all. Cause that person probably learned yeah. a lesson for all of us. Um, but <laughs> anyways, um, what would be one thing in history? That's a good, that's a good question now. Like what would be one thing from history that you think could be applied to the industry now to help us avoid a pothole or avoid some quicksand? Mm. I have one. Mm. I'm going to offer it, but I want you to go first. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I'll say the, the, the one that, the piece of history, recent history that we're learning right now with, uh, with Facebook is definitely a good one. But, you know, I think, I think, I think people should look to, um, to uh, political history a little bit more, you know, political history in the Western world and um, you know, the, the, the rise of nationalism and, you know, populism and some of, some of those big themes um, and, and, Think about, you know, maybe think about them in terms of, you know, case studies and different rulers and communities we've seen rise and um, factions. And because, you know, the the rise of blockchain and the governance of blockchains um, is going to mirror that in some way, because, you know, what we're seeing with with communities and blockchains, it's, it's, yes, it's technology, but these are humans making decisions around technology. Um, and ultimately you can glean a lot from history, um, and how humans behave in, in, you know, social and political situations. So that's, that's my, um, it's not very specific, but that generally that's how I think about these things. It's very funny because it aligns exactly with that. I was, I was going to talk about something on our show coming up, because um, we roundtable around these interviews, was that we have to refashion the ideology because in the way civilization has progressed, um, new technology doesn't get a chance to flourish if you're not agreeing with governments because government is the system that we've built. It's an emergence of how we interact with each other. And you can look at all the recent technologies. They didn't get the green light from just being an awesome technology. Mm-hmm. They got the First, they had that green light, but then a government came in and laid the infrastructure and how it was going to give in the, give the chance to scale. So I know the original ideologies of this stuff is like big middle finger to government and anything governance. Yeah. But I don't think in a heavily civilized, heavily civilized globe, you cannot include the government. It's just it doesn't make sense. There has to be some sort of plan to scale this stuff up. You go yeah. to the the personal computer, the internet, the, all this stuff, the governments were involved and they were kind of etching out a scale, a pathway for scaling. So I think, um, I'm kind of aligned with yeah. there. Yeah. But, Good. um, I don't know if I have any other questions. I do have one question. It's kind of like our trademark question that we ask everyone. And sure. that is in 10 words or less, can you describe blockchain? Hmm. 
10 words or less blockchain. Um, I'd say... The internet for transactions and value transfer for optimizing communities. That's 10 on the, that's 10. Yep. That's it. That's perfectly 10 (laughs) words. Nice. Congratulations. You win a virtual high five. That's that's pretty much it. There's no, there's no (laughs) anything else. So, well, Carolyn, thank you for stopping by. Um, Thank you for being an OG. I think in any other industry, what is that? Be four years. Four years wouldn't be considered OG, but in this <laughs> industry, four years is a lifetime. So, or at least it feels that way. It does. Uh, yeah. 2014 looked totally different than it looks right now. So, um, thank you for that. Thank you for all the hard work you're doing at Consensus. Um, thank you for obviously being a huge role model to a lot of people because you can't not be and be the director of ops of a company like uh, Consensus. So. Thank you. Thank you for having me, D. Have a good one.